So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? Uh, We're going to pick up um, in chapter 3. We're going to try and um, work our way down through the, the whole chapter this evening. So... Mark chapter 3. It says, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. When the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples, to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and um, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him, because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went out on the mountain and called to him uh, those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into the house. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he said to to them, uh, to himself, he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his goods. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to the sons of men and whatever blasphemes they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And the multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers and are outside seeking you. But he answered and answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so, Lord, would you honor the reading of your word this morning? Would you go before us during this time, Lord, as we study? Lord, just speak and minister to us. Lord, may our hearts be open and and ready to receive what you have for us. Um, And Lord, we do lift up and pray for Pastor Dean this morning. Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, just bring him uh, comfort this evening. And and Lord, may you just uh, put your healing hand upon him. Um, And so, Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you for this evening. And Again, Lord, would you go before us? Lord, as we, uh, as we sang this evening, Lord, would you pour out your spirit in this place? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're in chapter 3. And uh, Jesus is, he's kind of built up this, this kind of reputation already, right? We're, we're three chapters in, and... And Jesus already has this kind of reputation where people are kind of following him and, and, and they're, they're looking in to uh, challenge him and um, to challenge who he says he is, to challenge uh, what he's doing and, and perhaps why he's, he's doing these things. Um, you know, we, we saw last week, you know, that, that he healed a man that was paralyzed. I mean, he's, he's doing things that... Um, have never been done before, um, but he's he's also doing them in such a way where it's it's um, it's it's not a mystery. It's not um, something that that can really be challenged, right? I mean, there was a man that literally stood up and walked, right? And and people saw it happen and, and are bearing witness of this. And so, as was his custom, Jesus, as we come into chapter three, has entered into the synagogue. Um, and in, in Luke's account of this same story, we're, we're told that he's not just in the synagogue, but he's there teaching. He's there teaching in the synagogue. And it says, as he entered the synagogue again, that there was a man there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him. They, being these, the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, are watching on. They're closely watching him, whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, right? So they're already there. They're already surrounding him and looking for ways to uh, accuse him um, and call him out for doing something that was unlawful on their holy day, right? The, the Sabbath, the day of rest, um, which incidentally became the hardest day of the work, uh, week for them, um, trying to follow all of these religious ordinances and these these rules and um, finding their little clever ways to skirt around those rules as to not break the, the Sabbath law. 
Um, so Jesus is there. He's there. He's in the synagogue. And there's this man there who has a withered hand. You know, and every time I read this story and every time I consider this passage, I, I, love, I love this passage. This, for me personally, is one of my favorite miracles that Jesus performed. Because I think sometimes I can see myself in this, in this man who has this withered hand. Um, because he's there. Right? And we can find so many reasons and so many excuses why, why we can't come to church or why we can't go to a prayer meeting or why we, you know what I mean? Like, we have all these reasons why we can't do something. Certainly this man's like, I don't want to go. I mean, look at my hand. I'm withered. I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of, of, of my affliction. And, and so I'm just going just gonna to hang out. I'm just going to stay home. I'm not going to bother with this. <clears throat> but we don't see that here. This man is there. He's in the synagogue while Jesus is teaching. Albeit maybe in the back row, maybe he's hiding behind one of the pillars, maybe he's, you know, he doesn't want to call attention to himself because of, you know, this affliction perhaps that he has. And, and maybe he does feel shame and maybe he is a little embarrassed by it. But, you know, he's there. He's, he's in church. He's seeking the Lord, regardless of, of whatever that is. You know what I mean? And I love that because here's the thing, right? For all of us, there's something. Right? What has withered in our lives? That word withered means to be rigid. Uh, it, it could also mean rebellion. Um, it, it means to, to be stiff. right? And, and we can ask ourselves that same question. What is it in my life, in our lives, that has become stiff, has become rigid, that we are perhaps rebelling against? What is that thing that is keeping us from the Lord, that thing that is keeping us from fellowship with him. You know, this man is there. And what's interesting, too, is that not only is this man there in church with this withered hand, but this they, right, these scribes and these Pharisees that are also there, right? But their intention, right, why they are there is for a completely different reason, right? They are there strictly because they want to watch Jesus closely. What is he going to do? What is Jesus going to do? They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You know, and I find this interesting because in a lot of ways, they're his enemy, right? These scribes and these Pharisees, they're looking to accuse him. They're looking to call him a blasphemer. They're looking to um, discredit him and who he, you know, who he claims to be. You know, and it could very well be that we don't know this for sure, but it, this withered hand guy could have very well been planted there by these scribes, scribes and Pharisees. Right? Hey, man, come, come to church. Let's see what Jesus is going to do. But here's the thing: they're expecting him to do something, right? They may be his enemies, but they're at least they're expecting Jesus to do something. They're expecting him to heal the man. And they're like, yeah, but it's the Sabbath. That's going to break our law, our rules. Clearly, he can't be the son of God if he's going to break the law of God, right? And I find that interesting, that even the enemies of Jesus recognize the love and the compassion that Jesus had for others, where this man is there, and like, there it is. That's the guy that Jesus is going to be drawn to. That's the guy that Jesus was going to want to do a work in. You know, and so often the reasons why maybe we don't want to come to church or maybe the reasons we don't want to draw close to him is because we have that shameful thing in our life, that thing that we're embarrassed by, 
That thing that, that keeps us closed off, that's withered and shriveled and dying. And we think, surely Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. And we think that's the thing that's keeping us from him. When it's the very thing that he wants to do a work in our lives. He says, no, I have compassion on you. I love you. I want to heal you. I want to do a work in your life. And, and these scribes and these Pharisees know that about Jesus. They know that he has a heart of love and compassion. And that he's going to be drawn to the guy in the room that needed the most help. That was perhaps hurting the most. And I'm so encouraged by that because for all of us, right, in, in, in our lives, at some point or another, we will be or have been the person hurting the most. The person who needs the most help in that moment. And it's in those moments where Jesus is drawn to us and says, let me heal you. Let me come alongside you. You're the one with the deepest need. Let me meet that need in your life. And so with these scribes and these Pharisees watching on, paying close attention, whether or not he's going to break their rules, their law, right? Jesus, in verse 3, sees the man, right? He says to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. So Jesus is drawn to the very person that they expected him to be drawn to, right? Jesus can see not just the man with the withered hand, but he sees the hearts of these scribes and these Pharisees and, and, and what they're looking at and what they're expecting and hoping to accuse him of. And so instead of shrinking back, right, Jesus calls the man forward, right? Let's, and once again, right, like if we try and put ourselves into this situation and we try and consider where we are in this story, we don't want that, right? When we have that embarrassing thing, when we have that thing that is perhaps shameful or withered and rigid in our lives, we would much rather be in that back row behind the pillar where no one can see us. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Come forward, step forward. That in the Greek, it literally rise up into the midst. Listen, sir, back there, stand up in the middle where everyone can see you. I need everyone to witness what's about to happen. You know, because so often when, when God does and meets our needs and when he, when he does a work in our lives, right, he, he wants it so often to be public because he wants to receive the glory for it. Right? It's not something I did. It's not something that, that we did. It's what God has done in and through us. So he wants to, to receive the glory for it. So he's calling this man, step forward, come up here. For just a moment, be the center of attention. Because I want to do something. I want to meet a need in your life. So he calls this man forward. He's now like <laughs> right there, right? Step forward in, in the midst. And then he says to these scribes in these fairies, he asks the question, right, a theological question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, right? So knowing their hearts, knowing what their plan is, knowing that they're looking to find some fault and, and, and a way to accuse him, he's like, all right, well, let's do this thing. And he calls the man forward and he's like, all right, guys, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Is it, law, is it um, to, to, to save a life 
or to kill. So it's interesting, right? Because in, in, in the Jewish law, the Sabbath day was a day for rest, right? But it was so much work for them to rest on the Sabbath. And they had all of these different kind of rules and, and regulations and things that they could or couldn't do, what constituted work and what didn't, you know? And so they had some, some stipulations in there. So for instance, if, 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 if you cut yourself and you were bleeding out, right? They were allowed to apply a tourniquet to stop the bleeding, right? We don't want you to die, but they couldn't, they couldn't bandage it. They couldn't, they couldn't apply any kind of healing balm to, to the wound. It was literally just apply a tourniquet, see you tomorrow. Go back home and rest. You're supposed to be resting today. These were the kind of rules and regulations that they had, that they had put in place. Like, well, we can, we can stop you from dying, but that's as far as we're going to go. And then come back tomorrow and we'll actually try and bandage you up and, and help you, right? And, and Jesus is, is there kind of calling them out and kind of trying to get to the heart of the matter, right? Like, well, why are you resting on the Sabbath? Why is it, what, what is it for? And then he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, right? Forget all of these little minute rules and regulations, instead of minoring in, in all of these little, or majoring in all these little tiny details, let's get to the heart of the matter. On the Sabbath, are you supposed to be doing good or to do evil, right? I mean, if it's the Sabbath, you're supposed to save a life or to kill. And notice that they, they but they kept silent, right? So, so Jesus has now just kind of commanded the room. This guy is standing there with his, his withered up hand, and Jesus is confronting them, and they're, they're just silent, right? They got nothing to say. He said, well, if we, if we respond, we're going to incriminate ourselves. We can't, we can't say anything, right? So there's this almost awkward silence there in, in the room as Jesus has, has called this man forward. You know, and, and here's the thing in verse 5. It says, when he had looked around at them, and he looked around, it says, with anger and being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. So Jesus reads the room, right? He, he sees the man with the deepest need. He sees the hardened hearts of these scribes and these Pharisees. He poses the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? And their silence angers him and grieves him. Right? He's angry because here's this man who is in need, and they would rather trap Jesus in, in some theological argument rather than meet the need of the guy that's there right Jesus is having compassion on this man while the scribes and the Pharisees are just looking to trap Jesus they don't care about this guy in fact he very well may be a a, a prop that they put in place simply to trap and to trick Jesus into doing something that they would say is unlawful on their Sabbath day and it says he's grieved. Literally, like his heart is breaking for them. And it's, it's, I mean, Jesus can see right to their heart, the hardness of their hearts. And he's like, guys, you're missing it. You're missing the point, right? The Messiah, the Son of God is in their midst. The very person who, who soon is going to lay down his life for them. And they're missing it. They're caught up in the wrong details. And so Jesus tells this man, stretch out your hand. 
Stretch it out. And I love this because, again, Jesus is asking this man to do something that is impossible. But you don't hear any of those excuses, right? It's not like this, this guy is, well, Jesus, you don't understand. Like it's this, I mean, I, I have seen every doctor in town. Nobody can do anything. There's no surgery that's going to work. I've tried all the holistic medicines I can try. Nothing works. Nothing can fit, fix this. What do you mean, stretch out my hand? But you don't hear any of that. There's no excuses. There's no, uh, no. Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. That's it. Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. Immediate obedience. I love that. I love that, because when we come to Jesus with our deepest and greatest need, And Jesus says, step forward, rise up into the midst, and stretch out your hand. You know, and and I think Jesus is is calling us tonight. Whatever it is in your life that is withered, whatever in your life is withered, is is rigid, is in rebellion, is broken, whatever it is in your life that needs healing, Jesus is just simply saying, stretch it out. Just come forward. And stretch it out. Let me do a work in your life. He just he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus is in the business of restoration. Jesus wants to restore. He wants to restore you. We're gonna we're gonna look in, in just a minute. At the 12 apostles, right, that Jesus called 12 men to follow him, right, to enter into three years of intensive ministry. And, and when we consider them, they, they started in, in the service with Jesus one way, right, but they ended different, didn't they? They weren't the same men they were when they started, and, and that should be our story, right? When we come to Jesus and we experience him, hopefully we don't stay the same. Hopefully he's doing a restoring work in our lives. Hopefully when those moments come and he asks us, hey, rise up and stretch out your hand, that we can, we can meet those moments and say, Jesus, yes, do a work in my life so that you can be glorified, so that you can be honored in the things that you've called me to do. The man stretches out his hand and it was restored as whole as the others. And so then, verse 6, the, the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now the Herodians were, were a group of people that, that were uh, politically aligned with Herod. right? So the, the Herodians and the scribes and the Pharisees uh, were, were not people that got along. And it would make no sense for the Herodians and the scribes and the Pharisees to be partnering together. And it's interesting that Jesus is the one bringing them together for the purpose of destroying him. It's, it's almost like, hey, we don't get along, but we, we have a common enemy, Jesus. And so they're plotting how they might destroy him. I mean... Jesus just 
just did a miracle in this guy's. This guy is never going to be the same, right? And and yet again, Jesus is angry and grieved heart is because he can read right through these Pharisees. He can see what's going on, and, and he's, he's heartbroken over this, that they would rather seek his destruction over some Sabbath law than see the, the, the needs of, of people being met. And so it says that Jesus, there in verse 7, that he withdrew with his disciples to the sea. So again, word is getting out, right, that Jesus is performing miracles. I mean, this wasn't some, it's not like he went to this guy's house and was like, hey, I want to do a miracle, but let's not tell anybody. This was in the synagogue in front of everybody, right? And, and now the scribes and the Pharisees are partnering, uh, the, and the Herodians are partnering together, and they're whispering to one another on how to best destroy Jesus. Word's getting out that Jesus is, is doing a work. But here's the thing, right? The scribes and the Pharisees have their own agenda and their own plan, but the people with needs are realizing that there's someone there that can meet their needs. Someone there that's willing to break tradition in order to meet their greatest need. You know, and that's something, I mean, the the scribes and the Pharisees should have been there to to help meet needs in people's lives, right? They were the religious leaders of the time that, that should have been there ministering to people. And they're like, no, this guy Jesus is, is healing. This guy Jesus is, is curing people. And so Jesus now has to kind of withdraw, right? And so he's with his disciples, and there's a great multitude. And it says from Galilee, those following him from Judea, Jerusalem, um, Idumea, uh, beyond the Jordan, even as far as Tyre and Sidon. Notice... In verse 7, and a great multitude from Galilee, right? Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing, right? Several times, uh, Mark here is saying there's a great multitude. The idea here is it's, it's thousands of people are now coming to Jesus because he can, he, he can heal, right? Lame men are walking now, right? Guys with, with a withered hand now have two perfectly functioning hands. God, God is meeting people's needs, and so they are thronging to him, right? People are just are attracted, right? I mean, and it makes sense, right? Like, if, if you find a place that can meet your greatest need in life, wouldn't you be attracted to that, to that person too? And so Jesus has to kind of take a step back and he tells his disciples there in verse 9, right, to get a small boat and keep that boat ready because the multitude, lest they should crush him, right? So Jesus is kind of implementing some, some practical wisdom. Like, hey, guys, I mean, I mean, thousands and thousands of people are coming. Like, we kind of need a backup plan. You know, if I get pushed too, too far, like at least we can kind of retreat into the boat, right? Like, let's use some practical wisdom here on, on what we should be doing. And, and, uh, and he says, for he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, that they fell down before him and they cried out saying, you are the son of God, right? Even the demons are like, we know who you are. You're the son of God. We can recognize... Um, 
who you are. And he's warning them, right? He sternly warned them that they should not make him known, right? I mean, he's doing miracles, and, and now people are, are thronging him and, 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 and pressing towards him, trying to touch him, trying to, to, to have their needs met. And he's not, but I love this too, he's not turning people away. He's putting some action plans in place, like, hey, well, just in case, you know, if things get a little too intense, we can kind of retreat into a boat. But Jesus still wants to meet people's needs. You know, and I, again, I, I love that. I love that that's the heart of Jesus. He wants to meet us. And he wants to touch us. And he wants to, to, to reach that, that need that we have in that, our lives. Whatever, whatever it is, right, that that's become withered and rigid in our lives. He's like, come on, press in. I'm here, press in. Come to me. And so while in 13, as all these people are, are, are pressing in around him, it says that he went up on the mountain. And, and again, if we were to refer to Luke's gospel, Luke gives us a little bit more information. It says that he goes up on the mountain and it says he prayed all night. He prayed all night. Why? Because in the morning, he is going to select his 12 apostles. And so he spends an evening in prayer, right? He's got a huge decision to make in the morning. And he doesn't just make it haphazardly, right? This isn't like, well, A, B, C, yeah, you 12 guys sound good. No, he spends a night in prayer considering who are going to be these 12 men that follow him in his ministry for the next three years. right? The men that's going to carry on his ministry after he's gone, right? after he ascends into heaven. Who are these men? And I, I want to call your attention to a few things here. It says he went up on the mountain, he's praying, and it says, and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him, and that he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that they might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal the sicknesses, and to cast out demons. And so, if you underline in your Bible, if you highlight, if you circle, just in verse 13, it says he's gone up to the mountain, highlight this. He called to him those he himself wanted. He wanted them. And, and can I just tell you this evening, he wants you to. Highlight that, circle it, underline it. He wants you. He wanted them. He prayed for them. He has a plan for them. That plan is to go out and to preach. That plan is to go out and, and heal. That plan is to go out and cast out demons. And, and I can guarantee you, his plan was not their plan, right? I'm sure they had a different five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan. But Jesus says, no, 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 I want you. I want them. And because I want you, I have a different plan for you. And I have to be honest with you and be a little transparent this evening, but this tonight was not my plan. I didn't prepare for this. I didn't plan this. But the Lord had a different plan, didn't he? You know, I'm sure for, for Peter, you know, for James, for John, you know, like, no, this, 
This wasn't our plan. No, we were going to take up our, our, our father's business. We were going to be fishermen. Right? And Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to be fishers of men. Not fishermen, but fishers of men. I have a different plan. And, and as you consider this evening the fact that not only that Jesus wants you, but that he has a plan for you, are you okay with the fact that his plan may not be your plan? That the trajectory that he has for your life is not maybe what you have planned out. And if he interrupts your plans, if he changes things, are you okay with that? Or are you going to fight against it? Are you going to resist his plan? Because it may not be comfortable. It may not be what we wanted. It may not be fun, enjoyable, or easy. But I can promise you it's better than what I had planned. You know, my plan this evening was to come and to worship and and just to sit and be ministered to. And and believe me, I'm being ministered to, right? I mean, the Lord's here and, and, and he's, he's speaking to me. And it's encouraging me that he had a plan. It may not have been my plan, but you know what, Lord? Here I am, right? Send me, as Isaiah said, send me. But if you want to use me, use me. But I want to be part of your plan. He had a plan for these men. So he spent an evening, he spent all night praying, seeking and communing with his father. Father, who? Who are these 12 men that you would have me select? Who are they? Because it's no accident. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't arbitrary when he chose these 12 men. These are the exact 12 men that he wanted for this three years of ministry. If you're here tonight, if you're watching online, if you're listening to this later, it's because he wants you. It's because it was deliberate that you be here. It's not an accident. It's not arbitrary. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And so let's just consider for a moment these these men. Right? He has a plan for them to preach, a plan for them to... Um, he wants to, to endue them with power to... Um, to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And then he lists 12 men in verses 16 through 19. He says, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Simon, perhaps our most relatable disciple, right? We like Peter because his foot fits perfectly inside his mouth, right? That's how we know Peter. But Jesus says, no, no, Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you the rock, And when he called Peter, when he called Simon Peter, he wasn't a rock, right? He wasn't this firm. If anything, he was shifting sand, right? Kind of uh, um, fighting between two opinions all the time, right? At one point, right, Jesus says, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, right? This is the guy that, that we've come to know and to love. You know, but when you get to like Acts chapter 10, Peter's a different guy. He's not the same guy that he was here when Jesus called him. And and that's the point that I'm trying to make, is that when Jesus calls us to himself and says, I have a plan for you, part of that plan is to not be the same person that you were when he first called you. Part of that plan is to draw us closer to him, to trust him more, to know him more. To say, you know what, God? I'll submit to what your plan is. 
James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges. Boanerges. Sounds like a rock band. Would you welcome Boanerges, sons of thunder? James and John, the, th- the, the sons of thunder. Right? He calls them that because they were, they, were, they were loud, they were boisterous. At one point, right, they were like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on those guys? Because we'll do it. James and John. You know, but again, three years sitting under the teaching of Jesus, watching him perform miracles, watching him do the impossible, seeing who he really was. You know, at the end, James becomes the first martyr for Jesus. Right? Gave his life for his Savior. John, right, went on to... To, to write the gospel. He went on to, to write the three epistles. And, and John became known, like, here he's the son of thunder. Right? But when we come to the end, he became known as, 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 as the apostle of love. In fact, when you read through his gospel, several, he kept saying, right, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was so enamored with the fact that Jesus chose to love him. Man, how Jesus can change us. Andrew, man, I like Andrew. Every time Andrew is mentioned in the in the the, uh, the Gospels, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Every time, Andrew is bringing someone to Jesus. Whether it's Simon Peter, whether it's whether it's a, a young boy with his lunch. Well, Jesus, this guy's got some food. Bringing people to Jesus. Andrew's this guy that says, you got to meet my Jesus. Come, follow me. Let me show you my Savior. Philip. Bartholomew. Or uh, Nathaniel, right? Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you under that sycamore tree. I saw you. I know you. Jesus sees you tonight. He knows you. He knows right where you're at. He knows what it is that you, you, if you need to do business with him tonight. He knows what that is. And he's just waiting. I've seen you. I saw you under that tree. Just waiting for you to come. I want you. And, and notice that. Let's back up for just a minute, right? It says that, that he called them those he himself wanted. And notice right after that, if you want to underline and highlight that, and they came to him. It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, Simon, Peter, right? James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. You guys are going to follow me. He didn't compel them. They willingly followed him. He called them and they said, yeah, we'll follow you. It wasn't compulsory. But they wanted to. In the same way that he wants us, we should want him too. And say yes. Right? As someone like Andrew, we all have that person in our life, right? That has been bringing us to Jesus. Come meet my Savior. And hopefully we are that person for someone else. Come 
Meet the man that has changed my life. I'll never be the same because of him. Matthew, a tax collector. Right? This guy, I mean, he betrayed his country. He sided with Rome and is collecting money for Rome. Taking money from his own people to support the Roman occupation. How dare you? Jesus says, no. No, give me Matthew too. Follow me. Thomas. Thomas is another one, right? The guy that doubted. Doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I see the hole. Unless I feel the hole in your side. You know, sometimes I wonder if it was less doubt and more of, no, no, you guys got to experience a resurrected Jesus. I want to experience a resurrected Jesus. Let me feel the holes in his hands. Let me see the hole in his side. I want the same experience you had. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Thaddeus is the other Judas. It's almost like that. Don't call me Judas. Leave that to the other one. Call me Thaddeus. Simon, the other Simon, says the Canaanite. Simon, the zealot. Right? You've got Matthew, the tax collector, the guy that, that is a traitor to his Jewish people. Turned his back on the nation of Israel to collect taxes for Rome. And you've got Simon, the zealot, that would do anything to see the Roman occupation uprooted and to see Israel reinstated with the, the power and authority that they should have. These two guys were in the same room together. Simon the Zealot. Jesus said, well, no, give me the traitor and the zealot. I'll take them both. And get this, right? Verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. He prayed all night to select Judas Iscariot. To select a guy that would one day betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Right, would lead an army to arrest him in a garden and ultimately see him crucified. Jesus prayed all night. And it's, you know, you know, it's not like you see Jesus going, I don't, God, really, that guy? And I love that because Jesus says, no, give me the guy that will betray me too. I want them all. I want everyone. Come. Well, so Jesus spends an evening praying for these these 12 men. He selects them. And it says, Then the multitude, in verse 20, came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So there's this little reprieve where he goes up on a mountaintop. He spends some time with his father in prayer. Right, He's kind of distanced himself from the multitudes. But then he comes down off the mountain. And what happens? The multitudes are there. Right, They, they meet him. Right there, so much that they couldn't even, they can't even eat bread. And it says, when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Right, so he's there, the people that know him best, right? Like, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's the the, the son of Joseph. That's that carpenter dude. Yeah, that guy's out of his mind. 
And so the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, oh, he, has, he has Beelzebub. He, he's, by the ruler of demons, he's casting out demons. I mean, you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. But that's what they're saying, right? And so you've got these scribes and these Pharisees that are witnessing what Jesus is doing. Then the bigwigs come down from Jerusalem, right? The Jerusalem scribes and Pharisees, right? These weren't like, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees that were kind of out in the country under the radar. No, these were the guys in the big city, in Jerusalem, right? These were the guys that ministered in the temple. They came down. And what was their advice to, to calm the people? Beelzebub. By the ruler of the demons, he's casting out demons. And so, Jesus called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Again, like when you say it out loud, like it, just, it does kind of sound ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, oh, Satan is casting out Satan. And so he's asking them, right? How can Satan cast out Satan? He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Right? And we know this. right? If, if you want to see a nation fall, get that nation fighting against itself. right? And they'll be so, fight, so busy fighting each other that you can easily overthrow them. That's the principle here that Jesus is employing. Like how, how can Satan stand if he's divided against himself? How can a kingdom stand? How can a house... If it's divided against itself, that house can't stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. And then, he, you know, in verse 27, he uses this principle, right? No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder his goods, right? Like, Jesus is saying, like, you can't just go in... And, and plunder a man's goods. You can't just go in and, and take someone out. You have to first bind the strong man, right? If, if Satan is, is casting out demons by himself, it doesn't make any sense. But these guys don't have any other conclusions. Like, well, we don't know what to. He can't. All they know is that he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Son of God. He can't be who he says he is. That's blasphemy. In their minds, they cannot grasp the fact that the Son of God, that the Messiah would go in to the synagogue and heal someone on the Sabbath. They, they cannot, like, that can't be the Messiah. So therefore, it's, well, he's got to be casting out demons by Satan. It's got to be the, the ruler of demons is casting out demons. And then listen to this in verse 28. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. The sons of men. All sins will be forgiven. And whatever blasphemies they may utter. Right? I mean, Jesus, like, this is ridiculous. What you guys are saying is just, you say, I'm out of my mind. You're out of your mind. But he's like, nah, listen, all sins will be forgiven. Whatever blasphemies you may utter, it's forgivable. It can be forgiven, but... Look at that in, in verse 29. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. The blasphemy. What, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. 
right? That's his job. When the Holy Spirit is calling us, drawing us, he's drawing us to Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point to the Son of God, to point to Jesus, to draw us to him. And so what Jesus here is saying is if, if you reject that, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit, as, as the Holy Spirit calls you to Jesus and you keep saying, no, I don't want that, that is the only thing, that is the only sin Jesus is saying that is not forgivable. The only thing that Jesus can't forgive is your rejection of him. If you are going to reject the work of Jesus Christ, if you are going to reject his redeeming work for your life, that is the only thing that he cannot forgive you for. Everything else can be forgiven. He's seen how lost these guys are. He's seen, he's grieved by it. His heart is broken because of how confused and and how misguided their accusations are. But he's like, I can forgive that. I can forgive that if you can just accept me for who I am. If you would let the Holy Spirit do its work in your life. That's why why when we come and we have these, we, we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to be present. We ask the Holy Spirit to draw us because we want to meet with Jesus. We want to commune with him. We want that Holy Spirit's influence to lead us and bring us before our Savior, before our Lord. And he says, if you will not come before me, if you will not accept me, then I can't forgive that. Well, let's hurry up. In verse 31, he says, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brother? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So again, like he's there, right, his hometown, right, like people that know him and are familiar with him and remember, right, like, uh, again, right, that's, that's Joseph's kid, right, that's the carpenter's boy. You know, and, and throughout all this commotion, right, Mary comes out, his, his brothers come out, James and, um, and Jude, and they're like, oh, see, it's your family, your mom, your, your bros are over there. And Jesus uses this, and, and, and like so many other opportunities, right, he, he uses it as an opportunity to teach, right, and says, who is my mother and my brothers? Right, and so it would seem that there's been a multitude that is, has come around and is, is encircled around him. And so he starts to look around in a circle and says, here, my mother, my brother, my sisters are those who do the will of God. You know, it's interesting because I think at this point, Mary, I'm sure, probably knows, right? I mean, that's... Jesus is the Messiah. She probably knows and recognizes at this point. But we, we know that, that his brothers, James and Jude, he, they didn't come around until after, after his resurrection. At this point, they're up there going, he's out of his mind. 
I grew up with that guy. I No, that's, no. It wasn't until he was crucified, it wasn't until he was resurrected that they, that, that they came around. I mean, obviously, right, we have um, the, the book of James, right, was written by James, the, the brother of Jesus. The book of Jude, written by the brother of Jesus. They, they came around, and they, I mean, they, they re- authored scripture, but at this point, they're probably out there saying with the crowd that he is out of his mind for saying and doing the things that he's claiming. And Jesus is there going, no, 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 these, those who have come to do the will of God, those are my brothers, my sisters, my mother. And that's the call that we have, right? Just like he spent an evening in prayer calling and, and, and selecting his disciples because he wanted them. That, that What I want you to take away this evening is that he wants you. He wants me. He's prayed for you. He's prayed for me. And he says, if you want to be part of my family, do the will of God. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for your life. But it requires you to, to, to surrender. It requires you to take a moment, to take a step back and consider the things that I have for you. You know, he says in, in Luke chapter 2 that, that, that if you want to follow after him, you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross daily and follow him. It's a daily decision. And it's a daily decision to pick up a cross. It's a daily decision to deny ourselves. Paul told the church in Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we have any other message to give, it's not worth it. It's Jesus. That's what I got. I got Jesus, this guy that changed my life, that loves me and wanted me and has a plan for me. We need to be like Andrew and say, just come. Come meet this Savior. Or the the woman at the well, right? Man, I love that story. Come and meet the man that told me everything I ever did. Come meet my Jesus. Well, Lord, we, Lord, we're eager this evening, Lord, to, to, to follow you. Lord, and, and, and Lord, we admit this evening that there are probably things in our lives, Lord. There are certainly things in our lives, Lord, that have become withered, rigid, stiff, Lord, there are, there are things about us, Lord. There are areas in our life, Lord, that we are in just straight rebellion. And Lord, we acknowledge this evening that you are calling us, Lord, to stretch out our hand. Lord, to stretch out that which is withered. Lord, to bring it before you. Lord, to, to, to call it into attention, Lord. To, <laughs> to bring it into the center of the room and say, I need to do business right here. I need to deal with this. And you're calling us, Lord, stretch it out. Lord, that you want to do a restoration work in our lives, Lord, because you are calling us, because you want us. And so, Lord, may we respond like those disciples responded, Lord, as they, they just, they came, Lord. It says that they came to you. Lord, we come to you this evening. Lord, would you do a work in our lives? Would you minister to us, Lord? 
Would you go before us the rest of this evening, Lord? We need you. We love you, Lord. Lord, we call upon you this evening. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.